0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from the Prayer Room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Tonight, the Book of Revelation, session 37 Sword, Famine, Plagues, and Wild Beasts. This is going to be one of many uh, rather intense sessions. THAT WE'RE GOING TO DO IN THE COMING uh, WEEKS, uh, BECAUSE WE'RE LOOKING AT THE SEALS, TRUMPETS, AND bowls, AND WE'RE LOOKING AT THEM uh, INDIVIDUALLY. AND uh, SO TONIGHT, um, WE'RE GOING TO REALLY BE LOOKING AT THE uh, the THIRD AND THE FOURTH SEALS, uh, WHICH ARE FOUND IN REVELATION CHAPTER 6. LAST WEEK WE LOOKED AT THE FIRST AND SECOND SEALS. AND WHAT HAPPENS TONIGHT THAT'S A LITTLE BIT DIFFERENT IS THE TONE CHANGES last week we were looking at the subject of war from the Antichrist uh, and his his purposes (laughs) this week we're gonna be looking at a fourfold judgment that is deeply rooted in the word this particular fourfold judgment this particular concept sword famine plagues, and wild beasts this is something repeated over and over in the scripture that phrase that that combination of four ideas we're gonna look at those because All of the passages in Scripture that talk about this subject have been actually just down payment have been prophecy about the end of the age and if you want to get super specific they've been prophesying about the third and the fourth seals and so every time you find this passage or that phrase uh, rather those uh, four distinctives in in a phrase in a clumping in the word and you can find it many times IT'S ACTUALLY BEEN, NOT JUST THAT GOD DOES THOSE THINGS, BUT IT'S uh, BEEN MORE SPECIFIC, A PROPHECY ABOUT THE THIRD AND FOURTH SEALS THAT WOULD HAPPEN DURING THE GREAT TRIBULATION PERIOD. THAT MIGHT BE SOMETHING THAT YOU'RE NOT uh, FAMILIAR WITH. THAT MIGHT BE NEW. SECOND THING THAT WE'RE GOING TO LOOK AT HERE IS TONIGHT, WE'RE GOING TO NOW START TALKING ABOUT THE JUDGMENTS OF GOD IN REFERENCE TO THE WORD plague. WE'RE GOING TO START TALKING ABOUT plagues BECAUSE The release of the Antichrist and the release of the false prophet that we looked at last week or uh, last session Those are really bad, but I don't know that you would identify those as plagues This is where the plague language starts is Revelation chapter 6 Beginning in verse 5 when the lamb opens the third seal so again tonight We're gonna look at seal 3 and 4 and they deal with these uh, four subjects but uh, I just want to give you just a an unfortunate Bible verse It's one that I think for our Western minds is a a very difficult uh, concept to get our heads around. But we want to be loyal to the Word of God and not our emotions. I don't know how many times my emotions would have gotten me in trouble if I believed them instead of the Bible. So the fact that we don't like something kind of doesn't matter. We kind of want to get on board with what the Word of God says. And if the Word says, Isaiah 26, 9 through 10, middle of page 1, When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. But when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. And in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and do not regard the majesty of the Lord. I don't know that I can think of a passage that is more descriptive of the culture in America right now. WHEN GRACE IS SHOWN TO THE WICKED, THERE HAS BEEN SO MUCH GRACE SHOWN TO AMERICA, SO MUCH GRACE. BUT WHEN GRACE IS SHOWN TO THE WICKED, THEY DON'T LEARN RIGHTEOUSNESS. EVEN IN A LAND WHERE THERE IS UPRIGHTNESS, THEY GO ON DOING EVIL AND THEY HAVE NO REGARD FOR THE MAJESTY OF THE LORD. THAT IS A REALITY RIGHT NOW THAT NEEDS TO BE CONFRONTED. NOW, I DON'T PARTICULARLY LIKE THAT CONFRONTATION. But the point of confrontation is, well, let me tell you what I'm going to do if the wicked don't learn righteousness when I share with them kindness, mercy, and grace. I'm then going to do the first part of the verse, release my judgments upon the earth, because they will learn. They will learn righteousness. So as we study the end times in the book of Revelation, looking at the seals, trumpets, and bowls, we need to understand what's going on here. This is part of a a very, very merciful God who actually does have an end to where his mercy goes. And now he brings judgment, and even his judgment is actually a mercy because his judgment isn't intended just to slap people around, it's intended to get people to repent. Repentance, whatever the cost, repentance is a good thing. Whatever it costs you. Every time, no matter who you are, repentance is the right thing. Whatever it costs us is is the right process. And the Lord will never release more on us than is absolutely necessary. But he knows the wickedness is bound up in the human heart and in the cultures of the earth. Additional plagues. I just want to throw this out there because it might be an idea that you've not thought a lot about. There are many end-time judgments, many time, uh, end-time events, many end-time plagues that are not specifically mentioned in the book of Revelation that will happen in the end times. Many. I give you one of them here, Isaiah 10, 26. The Lord Almighty will lash them with a whip as when he struck down Midian at the Rock of Orib. And he will raise his staff over the waters as he did in Egypt. If we understand what's happening there, this is a reference to the Red Sea being parted. The Red Sea was parted for two reasons. One, so good guys could escape. Two, so bad guys could get a really big, heavy drink of water okay God released the waters over the Egyptians the enemies of God in that hour he released it over them as a judgment and here we have in Isaiah long after the book of Exodus long after Moses parted the Red Sea long after we see this promise that God is going to do that kind of thing again he's gonna do that and it's a, an end time uh, uh, passage an end time focus you go back and you look at Isaiah 10 I don't want to focus on that particular judgment i just want to throw out the concept that there are a lot of hidden events and moments trends difficulties and judgments and plagues which are written in the bible which are not specifically mentioned by name in the book of revelation that means there's actually more things going on than just the 21 primary judgment events that we see and that we're looking at all right a prophesied fourfold judgment the third and fourth seal sword famine plague and wild beast. sword includes war and also the spirit of murder sword is going to be a, a really big issue famine is going to be famine in connection with drought we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit plague i didn't want to elaborate on this but various outbreaks of various types it's not just one type of thing in fact there's there's one plague that god releases which i have not found a title for anywhere in the bible i just call it the chaos judgment Or the chaos plague because God says he releases chaos in a camp and the chaos from God has all the people kill each other and he's done it multiple times in the Word of God and that's that's one of the plagues in his arsenal is the chaos judgment where he can release chaos in a camp against an enemy enemy army and have them actually all slay each other and he's done it multiple times in the word so when we see the word plague it's kind of a big word means a lot of things all that and wild beasts which we'll spend, hopefully we'll have some time to spend on because it's a, a terrifying and fascinating subject in the Word. Well, let's look at uh, Roman numeral two here, varied causes for global famine. Now, before we actually break down the third and the fourth seal, I'm going to talk about some of the themes that are found in those two seals to kind of get us ready. One, God sends famine. That's a concept that... Again, we may not be really comfortable with, but I just want to give you Ezekiel 13, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 14, 13 through 14. Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful, now this is, this is God talking to one of his prophets, and he says, a country, he doesn't even just say Israel. He says, if one of the nations on the earth, that I am the God of the planet, and they're on my planet, and they're trying to be a country on my planet, if one of the if a country sins against me by being unfaithful and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine on it and kill its people and their animals even if these three guys Noah Daniel and job were all in it they could only save themselves by their righteousness declares the sovereign Lord I want to give you just one more little tidbit there I told you in a number of our kind of uh, Um, question and answer times, there are abundant verses that say God knows how to keep a righteous person alive and judge the guy right next to him. There's so many Bible verses that talk about that. Here's yet one more where God is talking to Ezekiel and he says, if these three guys were alive in a nation I was about to judge, I would come up with a way to judge the whole nation and just save those three dudes. Now they'd be fine. I'd take care of them. But everybody else around them, I would send the judgment on. And yet these three would be miraculously spared. God just does this. He knows how to put three guys in a fire and have them come out not smelling like smoke. I mean, we have, again, just such a backwards idea about how God does judgment. God is really so simple for him. He's the creator of the universe. He knows how to protect the good guys and judge the bad guys if they're in the same room or on the same bus. He knows how to do it, okay? All right, a prophesied global drought. I gave you a bunch of verses there. My hope was that maybe you'll go look at them. There's a bunch of verses that talk about an end time global drought that will have profound ramifications in the earth, uh, unprecedented in human history. A, a, A very drastic global drought. Global anything is bad, but global water no fall is terrifying. Because as long as it's regional, water no fall, you can go to a different region and get some water. But you have a real problem if there's a global drought, and that's what's prophesied, a global drought. Part of that global drought, it's not the only source, but part of that global drought is during the three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, the two witnesses have power to shut up the heavens so that it won't rain during the three and a half years that they're prophesying. That's one of the sources of the global drought, not even the only. So the two witnesses are going to say, you know what, global drought coming. And they're going to be prophesying significantly into this drought movement that is going to be a global problem. And then they have power to turn the waters into blood. These, uh, these two witnesses, again, they're going to be part of this, this scenario related to drought. I'm talking about drought and not famine at the moment because drought leads to famine. We'll touch on that in a second. Drought will continue and will contribute to the global famine because where water is sparse, cattle die. Drought causes crops to die. When rivers dry up, fish and other freshwater life dies, things that people are eating. So when you're talking about drought, the next step is absolutely famine because it so impacts the food supply. <clears throat> also, let's talk about In addition to the the clear prophecies that are going to be straight-up supernatural related to end-time famine, I'm just giving you some supporting components. Another is the strains of war. We know that war is going to fill the earth. Jesus said war will continue until the end. Famine is a very normal result of widespread war because of all the changes that take place in war-afflicted nations. The strains of war impact nearly every area of life. SO WHEN WE'RE TALKING ABOUT WAR IN ONE LITTLE AREA, THAT'S A PROBLEM FOR THOSE THERE. BUT IF YOU'RE TALKING ABOUT WAR IN EVERY AREA, YOU DON'T HAVE SIGNIFICANT PLACES OF REPRIEVE. I MEAN, YOU'VE GOT THE MAJORITY OF THE EARTH ENGULFED IN WAR, DESTROYING PRODUCTION. WAR CAUSES THE DESTRUCTION OF CROPS. JUST THINK ABOUT WHEN THAT BOMB GOES OFF NEAR THE FIELD. NOW THE FIELD THAT WASN'T THE TARGET, OR MAYBE IT WAS, But the field that wasn't the target still catches on fire because they were aiming for the thing next to the field. The production uh, capacities are destroyed. A lot of times in war, you're going to target things that are going to make your opponent weak, like food production companies and things. I mean, there's there's some significant uh, problems that occur just in the destruction of uh, the producing uh, capacities of a nation. Shifting priorities. When you're in war... THE EXTRA DOMESTIC GOODS THING IS KIND OF NOT FIRST ON THE AGENDA. YOU'RE TRYING TO FIGURE OUT HOW DO WE SURVIVE THIS THING. AND SO WHILE peacetime ABUNDANT FOOD IS A LUXURY, WAR REQUIRES A FOCUS ON TOOLS FOR SURVIVAL. AND SO THERE'S GOING TO BE A a DECREASE OF FOCUS ON LUXURIES IN ORDER TO BE ABLE TO SUPPLY FOR THE NEEDS OF THE FACTORIES TO PRODUCE THE WAR MACHINES AND EVERYTHING RELATED. THE IMPACT OF THE DRAFT. WHEN THE DRAFT IS PUT INTO PLACE, War increases the draft as a, a becomes a, a typical reality in the midst of a world that's at war. Well, when you've got people being drafted that used to be doing a job yesterday, like working at the supermarket, now there's nobody working at the supermarket. And then if you get somebody else, but then they get drafted, you kind of see the problem. Not just supermarket though; they were bakers, farmers, fishermen, delivery drivers. But now all those people potentially are at war been drafted into the, the uh, inscription of military service, sustaining troops. War creates an increased need for food that would otherwise have been eaten locally, but now it's got to be shipped to sustain troops far away. He's just all these aspects. I'll give you a few more there. The subject of war by itself creates a real strain on food by itself, but it's not the only thing that's going to be touching this, that's causing the, the famine. I also put in here... Revelation 18, 8, bottom of page 3. Famine has been declared on the end-time harlot Babylon system. And we're going to spend some weeks talking about uh, the harlot Babylon, which I believe if that's a subject that you're like, I don't even like that word, stop saying it, I don't know what that is. I want to tell you, I believe it is one of the most important subjects for our generation. I believe it is one of the absolute least understood and most important subjects for our generation. So it's something we need to become... Uh, aware of, comfortable talking about, understanding. It is a, a profound subject that we need to get our heads wrapped around. The gist of it, if you need it just in a phrase, it's a global system of wickedness that touches everything. It's actually the forerunner for the Antichrist. The Antichrist does not come until the Harlot Babylon is at full bore first. So there is no Antichrist system until there is first a Harlot Babylon system. And it's the harlot Babylon system in conjunction with everything that the Antichrist is going to put into place that God wants to judge big time. And so we've got Revelation 18, 8, therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine, and she will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. One of the significant components of this this judgment is the release of famine on the global empire of the harlot Babylon system. That's it. Quite a mouthful. We'll get there. I promise we'll make that, that statement make sense. But some of you have been tracking a little bit, so you can kind of picture that already. Okay, let's talk about the impact of global famine. What happens? When famine's all over, what kind of problems does that cause? Well, one, it causes economic woes. And this is not an exhaustive list, but it's a few kind of things that just kind of come to mind. And I gave a bunch of verses there to kind of talk about this. Farmers will grow broke as their fields fail. If famine and drought are hitting fields and farmers are making their living off of those fields and those fields are not working, it's gonna go bad for a significant portion of uh, humanity that's farming. Grocers will suffer tremendous decrease in sales due to no supply. Delivery and supply companies will shrink. Gas consumption will decrease due to lack of delivery needs. Governmental aid will be demanded, but with no supply to help. This all causes tensions. It also causes widespread weakness. When people don't eat, it causes problems. Now nutrition causes weakness, causes uh, the potential for sickness. When our immune systems are, are weak because we've not been eating well, all these kinds of things. <clears throat> I gave you a few there. And then violence. This is a, uh, a terrible thing about starving people. Morality reaches all new lows when people are starving. You can take some comforts and you squeeze people a little bit and it already starts to show that heinous sin nature within. You take their food, however, it goes to a new level. This will increase the spirit of murder. As famine becomes a global reality, people will be murdering for dinner. I don't like that. But that is the future. Revelation 9.21, describing the four primary sins of the final generation. They did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality of their thefts. should have given you the verse right before that. The verse right before that describes this is a universal reality of mankind. It it gives the, the context that everyone who was not killed by the plagues that God had just released, everyone would not repent of these things so outside of the redeemed the love the lord all of those that don't die in the plagues that happen in revelation chapter 9 they are going to be people who murder do magic arts they're sexually immoral out the wazoo and that they uh, they live a life of theft think about that when resources are decreased theft becomes normal daily activity as does murdering the person who won't give you their bread. And this is going to get really intense. It's going to get really, really intense. Let's take a look at the third seal. So again, we're going to look at the third and the fourth seal. The third seal, I looked in there before me, was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, now this is the living creatures, or one in the little living creatures, giving commentary on this pale black horse with a rider that's holding the scales think about the scales i mean exactly what you think two two things that are balancing okay he's holding this and now one of the living creatures or someone in the midst of them declares out some commentary says a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine these are descriptive realities about the coming famine There's a famine that's going to be released. It's going to cause significant impact on the food supply, so much so that it's going to touch wheat in a certain way and barley in a certain way. Well, for those of you who, like me probably, would have to do the homework to figure out how much wheat is good wheat and how much wheat is bad wheat, a quart of wheat equals about enough for one solid meal for a person. The problem is, It's a day's wages to get one meal. A day's wages. See the problem? Right now, a day's wages ought to get you more than a meal. A whole lot more than a meal. This is describing a global reality related to the way that famine has so impacted economics that now it's like, I really don't care how much money you have. You can't have the stuff because the stuff is in such short supply. We don't just have a bunch of extra food to hand out. So a quart of wheat, which is not, I mean, that doesn't even say meat and veggies and everything else. That's just a quart of wheat to be able to make a meal will now cost a day's worth of work. Barley, which is a less nutritious grain, you can get a little bit more, but because it's less nutritious, it's less nutritious. It's actually less impacting, it's less strengthening, it's less sustaining. And what we're told here is during this famine, the way that it's gonna impact barley, it's gonna be three quarts of barley for a day's wages. So you can get three times as much of a less nutritious thing in that hour. But still for a day's worth of work, you work a day to be able to eat one meal that day. This is global famine. This is a real problem. However, the, the uh, poor living creature, whatever, whichever one's up there that's talking, gives additional commentary and says, you know what, but in the midst of this, let's not touch the luxuries in order to be able to create a continual uh, um, gap between the rich and the poor. In that hour, oil and wine were luxuries. That's not the kind of thing that everybody had all the time. The rich had all the time. And the poor would have maybe at some level of access or, you know, some meals here and there. Maybe they would have wine or this or that. But the idea that everybody would all the time have these luxuries was not a reality and here we're told in the midst of this somehow there's gonna be some relationship of the way that the Lord is releasing these plagues specifically famine that is gonna not touch the oil and the wine the way that it does the wheat and the barley which are the mainstay sustaining graces uh, in the earth it's kind of like rice to so much of the earth okay so you've got this writer holding these scales in his hand And this rider is pale. The, the horse, the pale horse. The, the horse is pale. Remember we talked about the other two horses and the symbolism that was attached to their color? Well, this one's pale like a ghost that hasn't eaten. This horse is, is pale and is, uh, is uh, you know, not healthy looking. <clears throat> and its rider was named Death. So, like, think Grim Reaper. Up top of this pale horse that is in charge of global famine rides death. And Hades was following close behind. All right. Let's keep going here. Fourfold promise. uh, uh, The law promises a fourfold judgment. I'm on top of page six here. Deuteronomy 32, 24. I think this is the first reference. Maybe, no, actually I think 28. Deuteronomy 28 is the first reference. This is the second reference, maybe. Deuteronomy 32, 24. God speaking. I will send wasting famine against them, consuming pestilence and deadly plague. I will send against them the fangs of wild beasts, the venom of vipers they glide in the dust this is God early on in the covenant with Israel talking about this fourfold judgment that we're gonna see show up again here in just a moment in uh, in the uh, passage about the yeah the fourfold judgment here in Revelation 6 we're gonna see these same four things sword famine plague and wild beasts okay God has been talking about this from Deuteronomy, from the establishment of the law, the covenant that He made with Israel, the covenant of blessings and the covenant of curses. The covenant of blessings for those that keep His commands and walk with Him, the covenant of curses for those that don't. That covenant of curses wasn't just for Israel, it was for humanity. Covenant of blessings. We got plenty of lost people in places that have never thought about Jesus that are being blessed because they're following some of the principles of the Bible. If you partner with a principle of God, you're going to then experience the blessing of God. Whether you know Him or don't know Him. If you go against the plans of God, you're going to experience the curses whether you know Him or don't know Him. This is a really big deal. He's going to release wasting famine. That's the, uh, the famine. Uh, pestilence, deadly plague, and the, the beasts and the snakes. Okay, We know a little bit about the sword. We understand you know, that being a uh, war. Uh, but we also understand in the concept here of murder rising that that's going to be the spirit of murder related to all of the you know the thieving and the fighting for just daily provision and just the uh, the 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 sickness of uh, of of people getting more and more used to violence and all those things famine plague. I want to give you uh, well this is one of those verses that I was talking about that. Uh, uh, is, a, is a plague verse Zechariah 14 15 through 18 plague will strike again a strike against the horse and mules the camels and the donkeys and all the animals in those camps if any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King the Lord God Almighty they will have no rain and the Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles here's a crazy thing this verse is actually describing the activity of god with mankind in the millennium how much more on this side of the millennium? how much more when before jesus is ruling and reigning in jerusalem this is describing when all the nations will every year go to jerusalem to celebrate king jesus and all of them will have to do it or god says i will release plagues on you in the millennium in the millennial age where jesus is king on planet earth ruling and reigning as a jewish man in jerusalem he will release plagues even then. I mean, this is an intense reality. God's got a lot of plagues up his sleeves. But these wild beasts is really where I want to touch for a second. Isaiah 18, 6. And actually, if you're at the bottom of page 6, look at all those verses. All right, let's look at this fourth seal. When I opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of uh, the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked before me, it was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they, Death and Hades, were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and wild beasts of the earth. Now, again, we just looked at the third seal, which was all about the famine. Okay? And it gave great details about what that famine was. It gave great uh, uh, description about the the wheat and the barley and the oil and the wine. It gave a lot of details about there's a famine. But now we're told something additional we're now told it's not just famine. Now, just a minute later, it escalates. Now we're no longer just talking about famine. We're talking about the fourfold judgment, which includes famine, and is going to wind up costing a fourth of the earth to be killed by these four things. Now that's a detail we never saw in the Old Testament. That's a detail we never saw in these passages about the fourfold judgment of the wild beasts and the, you know, the famine and the plague and the, all, all the stuff. We never saw the detail of, yeah, but at the end, when this thing hits its culmination point, when the fourfold judgment is released in fullness in the fourth seal, it's going to equal one-fourth of eight billion people dying in a very short period of time. And they're all dying by one of these four things. So you just, if you do the math simple and sure the Lord's going to do it a lot more complicated than this, but if you do the math simple, one-fourth of the human race will get eaten by something. or or, or One-fourth will either get eaten by something or will have a plague happen, or they'll die by the sword, or they'll uh, experience, uh, what's the other one? Sword, famine, plague, and beasts. So of the two billion, let's say, because a fourth of eight billion is two billion, of the two billion, if you break that up into the four plagues, 25% 25% are going getting eaten, 25% are gonna die by plague, 25% are gonna die by, this is terrifying. This is crazy. And so that's a, I mean, I don't know if it's gonna be evenly, evenly 25%, 25%. What we do know is a fourth of the planet's gonna die by these four things. So these are gonna be major, there's not one of the four that's like, oh, that's the little one you don't gotta worry about. All four of these are a really big deal in that hour. This is gonna be a tremendous issue. And again, it's gonna cause one-fourth, nothing like this has ever happened. I mean, the closest you could relate this to would be the flood. But even the flood, it's like, I don't know. I mean, the flood, it's the worst thing ever. It's so terrible, but at least it kind of like almost makes sense. Like, you're just imagining everybody all in the same fate all at once, in a minute. I mean, everybody's gone in however long it takes to drown. This is different. This is four crazy specific missiles from heaven being released into the earth in the wildest ways. They're going to wind up costing one-fourth of the human race in a very short period of time. I don't know how short, months, probably not two years. I mean, it's a very short period of time because, again, the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls all are happening in the Great Tribulation. Okay, how's that for prompt to then break into some discussion groups? To our time of Q&A. All right uh, for those of you who are uh, joining us on uh, Facebook live I'll be repeating the question so that uh, you can hear it and so uh, we'll go ahead and start over here with this group so how do we know that the negative aspects of these judgments will not touch us as Christians I think lots and lots of these negative aspects will touch us as Christians you know there, there's a significant um, uh, thread throughout the Scripture. And Throughout Christianity about partnership with God Where you partner there's blessings where you don't partner. There's kind of neutral where you go against God's plans There's there's difficulties. There's detriment so How many in that day are going to be anointed when the bear is running at them to say in the name of Jesus bear? Don't eat me And not say it What happens I think some of them might get eaten by a bear but I think that the authority is there tonight. You know, uh, the, the plagues are the, um, not the plagues, the pains of war. I, I think there's gonna be so many believers that are gonna die in the midst of war. They're gonna be fighting in wars. They're gonna be in their house when the bomb goes off. They're gonna be gunned down for this reason. There's gonna be all sorts of negative responses related to war. I think that the biggest aspect of the day that's gonna cause the greatest amount of death and suffering for Christians, isn't any of these plagues. It's the Antichrist system that says, if you don't worship the Antichrist, we're going to kill you. And the mounting uh, pressures that will come up against that. I I mean, I don't know the number because it doesn't tell us, but I will say it this way. Of the seven seals, one whole seal is about how many martyrs there are going to be. It's the next one. So we just looked at one through four. Seal one through four. Seal five is all about how many Christians are going to die as martyrs, as the most dramatic increase of global martyrdom becomes a reality in the earth. That's absolutely going to touch us. But when it comes to the uh, the, how do we know that God's going to treat Christians different than He treats lost people as a rule? I just want to give you the the. Uh, the the main point of reference, uh, I think I've said this before, the most repeated phrase, I believe, and you can, don't quote me on this, maybe just go investigate it, but I believe it's the most quoted phrase in the Bible is remember. And it's God calling the people of God to remember the previous works that God has done. That, that exhortation, remember, remember. The majority of those remember moments are tied to the Exodus. Not all of them, but the majority of them. So we actually have the Exodus, which is how Israel got started as a nation. Israel was in slavery and did not understand her purpose, her destiny in the earth and and who she was and her inheritance until she became a nation. And the way that she became a nation was the Exodus, which was the dress rehearsal for the end times, okay? The people of God being brought out of oppression by an evil dictator, okay? The Old Testament antichrist, if you will, pharaoh they were being brought out of that scenario and they were being brought out with signs and wonders and and the lord and and the egyptians were not happy about it you know we don't know how many israelites got punched in the face because god was doing all these judgments on egyptian cows and things but not on on the israelite cows we don't know we don't have all the pictures of what levels of persecution were taking place how many names were called how many How many uh, privileges were taken back? I mean, I'm sure all that stuff was happening. But the point of the Exodus, it is the most uh, 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 referenced. Now, this part I do know. It's the most referenced, if you can call it one event, which, I mean, it's a bunch of events. It's the most referenced event in the Bible is the Exodus. God keeps saying, remember that, remember that, remember that. This is what I'm like. This is who I am. This is how I deal with my people. When the end times comes, and you've already experienced a dress rehearsal of how that's going to look, when the end times come, this is how I deal with my kids. This is how I deal with my family. Now, what would have happened if the Israelites, if any of them, and maybe this was the case and we just don't have mention of them. What if there were those that were like, I don't care. I'm a rebellious teenager. I'm going to do what I want. I'm not going to do this. If if they wouldn't have had the blood over the doorpost, they would have died. But if they had the blood over the doorpost, it didn't die. So there was some partnership. I think there's always partnership with God. If we partner with Him, things go better. If we don't partner with Him, it's either neutral or a a little bad. And if we go against Him, it's bad. And so uh, so there's some mystery there. We we don't want to make it sound blanket like everything is always going to go this way. But there is a significant tone. I'll just read it this way. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Micah 7.15. As in the days, When you came up out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. I'll do you like I did them. In the last days, I'm going to treat you. I'm going to deal with you the way I dealt with my people Israel when I brought them up out of Egypt. That's going to be the rule. So John 14, 12 through 14, God's going to release greater works than these. It says, whoever believes will do even greater works than Jesus did, it says. Well, what about the Christian that's like, I'm not doing greater works, you can't make me? Well, I guess they won't do any greater works. I mean, what if it's like, well, but I mean, in order to experience this, you really need to fast. I'm not fasting, you can't make me. I mean, so to me, it's like there's partnership. And so, uh, so rather than it being a blanket answer, I just, the reason I talk so strongly about it frequently, I talk strongly about the provision and the protection is because I believe as a baseline, we have a completely wrong paradigm, the other direction completely wrong. And we need to be thinking way more. God is able to deliver us. He's a deliverer. He's a strong tower. Those who run into him are safe. I mean, how many Bible verses do we have that say all this stuff in just, I mean, it's everywhere. It's like, we need to be thinking about big God, not mean judgments, bad plague, evil antichrist. We need to be thinking about big God and we're his children. How much more will he give good gifts to, to those of that? I mean, this just goes on and on and on and on. Like, this is, this is Christianity. So, Uh, So will anything bad happen? Yeah. Yeah, Actually, there's going to be a ton that we know for sure will be bad. But I think that related to the judgments of God and the plagues, uh, partnership is going to go a long way or is going to resolve things. And so let's just be people that know how to hear the Holy Spirit and obey God. Amen? All right. Uh, Question over here. All right, so how does the the Goshen principle when when the Egyptians I'm sorry when the Israelites were all in a, a territory of Egypt and they were being protected how does this play out in the end times related to or is the community of God all going to be together and that's where their safety is if you're by yourself in a cave but you're doing all the right stuff are you gonna be okay there uh, I think the Lord is going to c- draw the body of Christ close together in profound ways but that can't mean we're all in one place okay? because it's a big planet so as soon as you make it two places as soon as it's no longer one place it's two, well now it could be three or three thousand or three million and the principle can work and it can't all be one place because we're not all going to move over to where? where would we even all go, I mean we're supposed to be salt and light so the Lord actually wants us believers everywhere second component of that I think the Lord is absolutely gonna have us living on top of each other. I mean, I think absolutely, we're gonna, before this thing's over, we're all gonna be living in houses with each other and in caves and everywhere else's. I mean, we're, I mean, abandoned buildings and, I mean, I think the facet of community is gonna become the most profound component of Christianity in the day-to-day life. Now, but you can have community with three people. I mean, so it doesn't need to be 3,000 and think, I honestly think the day of the megachurch and the 3,000 is not gonna work. I mean, we're going to be, that's too easy to find. And the Antichrist is looking. Where are all the Christians? Well, let's go to the places that they gather in the thousands first. You know, I think you're going to be talking about smaller communities. Next point, in the principle, uh, or in the uh, portion that we were talking about a minute ago, related to in Goshen and the blood being put across the doorpost, every blood over every front door protected that house. So that's, that's a principle that we can see as part of the way. Now, it's not like we're all just going to start putting blood over doors. What we're going to be doing is going, God, what do we do? And Lord, whatever you say, that's what we're going to do tomorrow. And so it's good that we're practicing now as believers, trying to learn how to hear the Holy Spirit when he says, go left at the stoplight. You know, I want you to go talk to that guy over there. I want you to witness to that person in line. We need to be learning how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit because we're going to need his voice and we're going to need to be led by him Because his voice, plus righteousness, plus principles, plus togetherness, plus prayer, plus a few other things. The John 14, uh, you know, 12, greater works than these. You put all these things together. The baptism of the Holy Spirit on the whole church. Joel 2, 28. You put all these things together. These are the ingredients for the sustaining victory of the end time church in the midst of the greatest difficulty and mass martyrdom. And again, I just, I want to tell you the martyrdom thing is going to be the biggest owies for believers. That's going to be the big one. We are all going to know people or be people who are martyred. We're all going to know people. And that's going to be the biggest pinch, okay? And that's going to be, I mean, the the point about not being offended when, when Jesus was talking to John the Baptist's disciples, he's like, blessed are those who are not offended on account of me. He's saying, I'm going to let John get martyred tomorrow. You going to be okay with that? So actually the subject of not being offended at Jesus on account of Jesus, most specifically is related to not being mad at him when your friend gets martyred and being okay with Jesus that he's he's going to allow this. And so that's a significant and that's a hiccup we don't uh, we don't have that one. We're, we're tripped up by that one. We got a lot of ways to go in growing in the fruit of the spirit and not being offended. So uh, great question, Caitlin over here. So how do we prepare for the type of partnership that I just kind of talked a little bit about? How do we do that? Um, Well, you know, part of partnership with the Holy Spirit is Jesus has this really pesky thing called the body of Christ. It's really pesky, because they're not like you. And they don't think like you, and they don't talk like you, and they don't do like you. And we have this tendency to try to do me Christianity. And it is totally erroneous it it is so far from the purpose of God we are the body together and part of that is we learn from each other part of that is the Holy Spirit as long as there's two of you now there's two of you he could warn there's two of you who could have a dream there's three there's 30 there's 300 I mean so the subject of community is essential it's New Testament Christianity when the when the church was started They started close together in deep relationship and the Holy Spirit was moving in their midst. So community is massive. Second, learning how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I would say we are no longer in an hour of church history where it is okay to not know how to hear God's voice. Uh, I think we're past the hour where that's going to continue to work. It's in God's grace, he's allowed that to work-ish, kind of work, kind of trip forward work. For so many, for so long. I, I think we're leaving that hour. And now is the time. We, His sheep know His voice. And we must be His sheep and learn how to hear His voice. Because we need to have that quick little warning from the Holy Spirit. Go left, not right. I can tell you, when I was in Africa doing missions, there were so many times I didn't die. Because I knew how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I would hear Him tell me, don't go down that street. And if I would have, I saw what would have been down that way a little bit later or the next day. There are so many times we we need to be people that know how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so if that's something you're like, I don't know how to do that, call that a giant problem and start fixing the problem. Ask somebody who does. Pray a lot. Ask God to help you. Listen. I'll tell you the hardest thing is for you to learn how to be quiet in your own soul, in your own mind. And you can't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit until you can get still before him. Be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted in the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Psalm 4610. We need to learn how to be still in order that the voice of the Holy Spirit can begin to speak to us. So I'd say that's another component. And then obey the Bible. I mean, if you don't know how to hear God's voice, learn how to hear his voice. And if you're not in community, get in community. If you just follow everything the Bible says, you'll probably be okay. I mean, just follow God. Just obey the Bible. But there's so many times we look at the Word and like, I don't really want to do that. That's not really my favorite. Well, that's going to get us in trouble. And I think that... The kindness of the Lord is, Revelation 19 says, the bride has made herself ready. And part of that was martyrdom helping us make ourselves ready. And so there's a, there's a lot of difficulties in our future. There is tremendous difficulty in the future of the church. There's also tremendous glory. And so, uh, yeah, love God. Short answer, love God. All right, Andy? Yeah, just the last question was just about how to not be offended and hold our hearts. Yeah, I, I think really the, the answer is the greatest commandment always. I mean, no matter what the question is, the answer is the greatest commandment, love God. And then the second's like it, figure out how to love people. So I think if we can just keep growing and love God, love God, love God, if that's really our main thing, those that love God know how to hear God. Those that love God obey God. Those that love God find themselves in communities of people that love God. I mean, it's kind of like love God fixes it all. So let's just be really, really, really good at the greatest commandment, And then the second is like it, love people out of the overflow of that. And I think that's really the answer. So, great question. This concludes this teaching from The Prayer Room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayeroomdfw.com. Thank you.